0: Uh, one of the great joys that I have, uh, that, 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 that we have even as a community, is we have a wonderful praise and worship team led by Beth, and this group is just astounding. And I don't know if you, you see some of the stuff that I see, because I just sort of wait for it and watch for it all the time, but not only is there tremendous gifts and abilities up here, but there's joy. And just seeing some of the interactions—I mean, Mike Hicks was grooving today. And when Mike Hicks grooves, then the other the drummers and the other people are grooving too. And just watching that joy and that life is just such an encouragement for me um, and for us as a community. I'm grateful for how God uses these people to lead us into worship. We've just spent time considerably as a community talking about worship, and now as we sort of transition from. The idea of the postures of worship and adventures in worship to the characters of Advent, I think it's appropriate for us to sort of bridge that gap a little bit. And that's what today is. Today's message for us is a message about bridging the gap between, let's say, this idea of worship and then what Thanksgiving is. I mean, obviously, this week, Thursday, is a big deal in the life of this country and in, you know, those who celebrate um, Thanksgiving. We, by the way, will have a service at 930 on that morning if you'd like to come and join us and at least put your uh, turkey on a timer for that morning. Um, But if we're going to get to a point of thanksgiving, we need to understand sort of what fuels that and how how God works in us to prepare us for thanksgiving. And really, as we understand it and as we read the text of Scripture, that thanksgiving comes from understanding who God is as He sent us Jesus, as He has redeemed us from sin and changed our world we're going to study how he changes the world of these different characters from the text of the of the of the Christmas story but how God has also done that in us and then how that fuels us for thanksgiving so as we think about Thanksgiving this week, I think it's appropriate for us to talk a little bit about how we move from that, That how do we interact between worship and thanksgiving. We're going to spend time in Psalm chapter 95, if you would turn in your Bibles to that text, and as we get ready to hear God's Word, let's pray God's blessing in our time together. Thank you, O God, for your Word, for what you've given to us, how you encourage us through it to be people of worship, people of thanksgiving, people that... Engage in relationship with you. We ask, O God, that you do your work through the Holy Spirit because of the work of Jesus Christ to transform us from simply people who are spectators to your glory to participators in your glory. And that, Lord, as participators, you give us fuel, fuel for worship, fuel for thanksgiving, fuel to give you glory in all of our lives. We understand, Lord, all of us come from different places, experiences, challenges. But, Lord, meet us where we are and move us to where you want us to be, prepared to go out from this place and give you glory with our lives. We pray these things all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Psalm 95, beginning at verse 1. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before Him with thanksgiving, and extol Him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to Him. The sea is His, for He made it. His hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known My ways. So I declared an oath, on oath, in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's that time of year, isn't it? Where when we greet people and we talk to people maybe we haven't seen in a while, one of the most popular phrases becomes, So you ready for Christmas? You ready for the holidays? Are you ready for the season? It's sort of one of those times where certain people begin to feel pressure, right? We gotta have pressure to have the right goodies in the freezer for those times that we're gonna gather together. We have we feel the pressure of of making sure that we 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 have enough parties to go to or that we're ready for those parties or we understand our travel plans over the course of the season. Kristen and I it's sort of funny as we just look at our calendar and we you know Kristen's one of those planners and she puts all our stuff on our calendar in in our kitchen and we realize that between like December 10 and December like 29 it's just this big ink block of things and activities and programs and parties and things and it's sort of something that that we, we we feel that pressure and that pressure obviously ramps up this week I mean it's it's striking to me that over the course of my time in, in, in the United States because the I, I, I grew up in Canada until I was about 20 years old, so I didn't have quite this experience with Black Friday and all this other stuff because we have Canadian Thanksgiving. It's a much better better holiday than it is here. but um, We have Canadian Thanksgiving. It's at a different time, and it doesn't have the same structure. So as I came to the U.S. when I was in college and saw Black Friday sort of start and ramp up and ramp up, and every year it's just like it's the next thing. It's the next thing. It's starting a little bit earlier. I think actually next week or next year uh, Black Friday starts October 2nd. Uh, It's just crazy how it continues to move up and up and up. They're having Black Friday starting on Thanksgiving in a lot of of stores this year. And we, we feel that pressure, that pressure that the world puts on us. Are you doing enough? Are you giving enough? Are you preparing enough for the season? And as Christians... We bemoan that fact on many levels, because oftentimes we end up feeling like it takes away from what the season is all about. But I wonder how much of our, how many of us are guilty for how we participate in that. I know I am. There are certain expectations that I have of the church calendar, and as we put those expectations out there as church leadership, I know that that sort of in some way plays a hand for you. You have more things on your calendar because of what I plan for you or what we plan for you. So to what degree am I participating in that sense of busyness, almost this frazzled running around until Christmas in order to celebrate it, quote-unquote, in the right way? And I think for us, as we just begin this hurried, frazzled crazy time for us to spend some time thinking about how do we do this well not how do we do it right because I think when we think about what, what, how we do it right I think we feel the pressures of commercials and and other people out there who do what they do how do we do it well how do we how do we celebrate how do we prepare for Christmas well so I come to this text because I think this text ties worship and thanksgiving together really well. And I think it, it's helpful for us. And so I picked Psalm 95. And if you read along with me, if you looked at the text, you felt this sort of change, right? I mean, the first six verses of Psalm, Psalm 95 are, are nice. They're sort of touchy-feely, warm text. Let's worship God because He's powerful. Let's praise God because He's great. He has all these, these sort of uh, worship and glory phrases about who God is, but then we get to verse 7, and here's what we hear in verse 7. Or, sorry, verse 8, starting at the end of verse 7. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said, There are people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, They shall never enter my rest. How many of you, that's your favorite part of the psalm? We don't write songs about verses 8 through 11, we write psalms and songs about verses 1 through 7. You hear echoes of it, songs that many of us know and can sing from heart. But we don't talk about this part of the text as something that we give praise to God or we worship God with. So we ask the question, why is it there? Well, I think it's there. It's there as a warning. It's there as a cautionary tale of what can happen when you're not Preparing and worshiping and giving thanks truly in the right way when you're sort of going with another sort of flow instead of what God intended for you. Of course, the story that is told in this psalm is way back in the days of Moses and Israel when they were getting ready to come into the promised land, and the spies went out, came back. When they came back from checking out the promised land, they said, um, Ten of them, there's big folks and they're going to take care of us and we're going, to, we're going to get beat up if we try to take over the promised land. Two said instead, no, it's going to be good. Let's go. Let's go take up what God has given to us. And, of course, Israel says, well, we're not going to go because we don't trust God. So for 40 years, God condemned them in the desert to wander. I think those people give us an indication of how we don't prepare well for what God is doing. They give us a picture of what it means for people when their hearts forget who God is. It's a key phrase here. Forgetting God. Verses 8 through 11 remind us that generations have gotten this wrong, they haven't been thankful, they haven't worshipped, and they'd forgotten God from verse 10. They have not known my ways. They forgot who God was. When, when a people forget God, and God as the creator of the universe has put everything in front of them. He's put creation. He's put the mountains, the sky, the stars, the seas, and everything in them in front of them. and He's He's created it for them, and He's worked in their lives, and we see that in the story of Israel, taking them out of Egypt, bringing them into the desert, providing for them through manna and quail and water and all the things that they ever needed, and yet they forget God. You can imagine God's anger when instead of worshiping Him, they forget Him. Israel's desire for independence or a different type of God or their own stubbornness impacted their ability to worship faithfully, there were consequences for that. And the consequences are that none of the people who denied God's power has their bones buried in Canaan. They were all scattered to the dust in the wanderings in the desert where they died. Eventually that generation died off. Because God said, if you're not going to listen to me, then I'm going to wait for the next group of people who will, and they will acknowledge me. God says to his people sometimes, if you don't engage with me in relationship of trust, there's going to be consequence, and it's going to be big. He says that to his people from time to time in his word, and I think he says that even to us So then the question we should be asking as we prepare for Thanksgiving, what impacts our ability to remember God? What sort of things have become barriers to us living out verses 1 through 7 of the text? Where we can proclaim God as Messiah, where we can sing songs of praise to Him for His glory, for His power, for His ability to create. And there's not barriers in us. There's not distractions. There's not things that have been put up in front of us that stop us from engaging with God. There's not even things that we've erected in our own lives that stop us from worshiping Him. And I think as we walk through this time of year, that's a key question, because frankly, the world that we live in erects barriers all over the place to finding the one true God at Christmas. Of course, we hear the commercialism of, you know, um, Christmas really is all about making sure that corporations have their profit and go buy, 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 and gift, 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 and whatever. And we hear, you know, that, that it's about instead the experiences of just family being together. And as much as that is a good thing and a beautiful thing, frankly, that's not exactly what Christmas is fundamentally about. Oh, that's a byproduct and it's a beautiful one of gathering with family and having traditions and experiences. Things that I would very much encourage and say God lives in those places. But is that truly what Christmas is all about? Is that what our time of preparation should lead us toward, just spending time with family and wonderful traditions? Or, you know, we, we, we even have the challenge. How do we teach our children what Christmas is when they, like sponges, soak up the stuff that they see in the world around them on television, in the stores, I mean, suddenly, all of a sudden, instead of us telling the story of God loving the earth so much and His people so much that He gives them redemption, and Jesus, a baby born in Bethlehem, the least of all towns, so that His people might have life and we might have life, it gets lost in the middle of every single Christmas special. It's a challenge for us to think about those barriers that we have created as we seek to prepare for the coming of Jesus. It's highlighted to the nth degree this time of year. It's a season of thanksgiving and worship of the Savior of the world. But how does the world treat it? I'm going to tell you something. And I see this every time of year when things get busy. It happens often in the summertime when people get busy with different parts of life. It happens often at this time of year when there's lots of different things to go to and family gatherings to be a part of. But one of the things that I notice oftentimes is the sporadic attendance in worship of different people. Now, please hear me here. I'm not sitting here in judgment and I'm not not saying that I understand the full story. I'm just saying something key about the rhythm of life that God gives us. And I think one of the things that we have said oftentimes is when we are busy, when life is full, when there's a lot going on, one of the things that gives the quickest is church. Spending time together in worship to God and in God's family. And if we can all admit that Christmas is a busy time, then the possibility of you feeling the pressure to say, you know what, I'm tired. It's been a full week. I'm just going to hit the bed for the extra hour or two hours this morning will be very real for some. But I think we should all ask the question, why? Why does that happen for us? And I think part of the reason why it happens for us is we're not grabbing on to those rhythms that God has given us to truly worship, to give thanksgiving, and to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. See, you're going to have lots of things this year, this Christmas season, you're gonna have a lot of things in the calendar, and you're going to be a part of so many of them. But none of those things point to Christmas the way that worship does. And I'm not just talking about worship here. Please don't get me wrong. I don't want to, and I don't keep track of you. I, I, I I don't know who, what, when, where, and I'm not sitting in judgment, but I am asking the question, as you engage in the activities that you engage in this Christmas, how many of them will move you to worship? Worship and thanksgiving. And if they don't, the question for you and I to ask is Are they worth it? Do I say no? Do I stay home? Do I do something else? Do I participate in something instead that becomes a means for me to find and seek out Jesus Christ? And to give him praise for who he is as the Messiah promised to redeem the world. And as we look back at the text of Psalm 95, we can understand more how God shows us ways to engage in that as he shows it to Israel. Notice the words of the first seven verses. Notice some of the things that the psalmist highlights. It describes a God of power. Here are the words. Verse 1 has, He is the rock. He is great and above all other gods. Verse 3 He is the Creator. Verses 4 through 6 hit that refrain over and over again. The things that He has given us, the things that He has done, the things that He has put in the world for us, His people. But verse 7 makes it different. Let me read verse 7. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. And yes, that is a relationship of power if you see this picture. The picture is a shepherd and his sheep. A shepherd obviously has power over the sheep and can take them where it is that he wants them to go and make them do what it is that they don't want that, that, that they should be doing. And if they're not doing it, then he can pick them up physically and even move them to a different place. So there is this element of, of power. But if you understand the image in the Old Testament, especially of a, a shepherd, that shepherd loves the sheep that shepherd cares for the sheep that shepherd's whole being is tied up in how well those sheep are doing and so that relationship that we get in this image of a a shepherd caring for its flock is one of a God who loves his people one who engages with his people One who shows up in people's lives over and over and over again because he doesn't want to see them harmed. He doesn't want to see pain. He doesn't want to see struggle, illness, sickness, suffering. So much so that at this time of year we acknowledge God wanted relationship enough with us that He left glory The beauty of the throne of heaven became a stinky, sweaty baby in a manger, which is a hole in the floor. Think about that image. The creator of the universe slept in a hole in the floor because he wanted relationship enough with us to do that. In verse 7, Israel sees that although God is great, powerful, and their creator, that he is fundamentally about knowing and loving them and living with them. That's what Christmas is. Christmas is God saying to us, I love you so much that I'm not going to leave you stuck in the pain and the brokenness that this world offers, even if they shine it up and put it in sales flyers and say, this looks awesome, I'm not going to leave you with that because I know what that ends up with. That ends up with you in pain. That ends up with you feeling lost. That ends up with you not feeling uh, the fullness of the life that I have created for you. So instead, I'm going to make things different. I'm going to come and I'm going to be with you. I'm going to come so that you might, instead of knowing the the, the the gold and silver and what moth and rust destroy, instead you're going to know the eternal things, that I have a relationship with you, a relationship of love, a relationship of redemption. And through the work of this baby sleeping in the floor, eventually hanging on a cross for you. You will have everything that you could ever imagine. Anything that is possible, I will give to you for my glory through Jesus. That's what Christmas is. And for us to miss that this time of year by polluting it. And yes, I say pollution. The pollution of busyness and selfish celebrations that miss out on preparing for this work that God does, sending Jesus for us. We we basically take what is a beautiful diamond and shove it in the depths of the mud in the slop of a pig pit when we turn it into this selfish, materialistic, or or relationally focused series of celebrations, it's about relationship, sure. It's about relationship with Him who sent His Son to redeem and give us life, hope, joy, peace, and redemption. People of Israel don't yet receive that ultimate means to relationship with God but we do. We know the story of Jesus. We know the Gospels. We know Luke 2. Kids are memorizing it like crazy. My son is right now walking through it, and he says, we got to do this again. Yeah, we need to do this again. Why? Because by doing so, you and I remember God. We remember who He is. We remember the story and engage in it in such a fashion that it can move us, transform us, change us from just focusing on the drivel and the fluff instead to seeing it as a story centered on a manger in the town of Bethlehem where Christ fulfilled his promises to give us life. As we prepare for the coming of Christmas, for us to see the incarnation as God redeeming his people in Christ by perfectly living in relationship with them, then dying on our behalf and rising so that we might have life. Folks, that's preparation for Christmas. That's preparing truly for what God has done. That's taking out the stuff, the barriers that block us, and that's allowing the focus to be centered completely upon what it is that Christmas is about for us. Generations waited for Christ's work. We don't have to. We live in it every moment of every day. You and I who know the work of Jesus Christ, know the Spirit is alive in us, the promised Holy Spirit working, transforming, and changing us, moving in us, being in relationship with us. The purpose of the incarnation is something that we know every moment. So then, as we walk through a week like Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving week for us to be able to fundamentally say as our reason for Thanksgiving thank you for Christ oh God thank you for life through Christ oh God thank you for hope through Christ oh God thank you for blessing through Christ oh God thank you for anything that I can give you thanks for Because I know Christ, what He has done, how He has redeemed me and lives in relationship with me through the Holy Spirit. That's where thanksgiving begins. That's where we move simply from worshiping God and giving Him glory for His power and His righteousness and His creation to thanksgiving for what He has done for us through Jesus Christ. For us to believe in how Christ changes our relationship with God, submit to His work in our lives and our world, and proclaim that truth for His glory makes us ready for Christmas. I want to give you the phrase a little bit differently. And I know if you say this to somebody that you meet in Target and they have no idea what you're talking about, it's probably going to freak them out a little bit. But they're going to ask you. You know what's going to come. So, are you ready for Christmas? And your reply could be something like, well, sort of got some things I'm working on, but are you ready for Jesus? A little freaky, isn't it? But isn't that the purpose? Isn't that the whole focus? And yes, I know, that will be uncomfortable. How wonderful to be uncomfortable in having a conversation about Jesus during Christmas. Does that seem to make sense? Of course it does. Of course we know all this other Christmas stuff goes on. Of course we know that the stores in the world and the people around you and the office parties and the other stuff and the family get-togethers were good grief. I got to get together with them again. They drive me crazy. Only three hours, dear, that's all I'm giving you. Whatever it is and however it is that you walk through with these sorts of things, that you can somehow, someplace, way, be able to say, are you, am I... Getting ready for Jesus. For what he gives. For what he has offered. And for what he offers for eternity. Am I getting ready for Jesus? And are you? Because I don't know a more fundamental question in life. Because he came once. And guess what? He promised he was going to come again, and if he's going to come again, for us to ask that question even still, are you getting ready for Jesus? Moves us to that place of thanksgiving because we know that God has done His work in those who believe, so that they might, through the work of His Spirit, become more and more ready. that day when He does come. Would you pray with me? We praise You, O God, for sending Christ. And as we prepare for this full time of year, we ask, O Lord, that You give us hearts to seek You, eyes to see You, ears to hear You, feet to move towards You, Father, move in us to truly prepare for the coming of the Christ. The promise, Lord, that you gave so very long ago that you would come to redeem the world. You have fulfilled that part of your promise and you continue to fulfill your promises for the future. May we, O God, this time of year especially, acknowledge who you are in Christ proclaim who you are in Christ and give you worship and thanksgiving with our lives for what you have done for us in Christ. We pray these things as your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand.